If your translation of the Bible is anything like the one I use, it's possible that immediately after Mark chapter 16 and verse 8, there's a footnote that might sound a little concerning. As I read just before Mark chapter 16 and verse 9, I'm told some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. That might make you wonder, what's up with that? Are today's modern liberal biblical scholars producing these new translations trying to take away from God's word? Are there things in this passage that they're trying to screen out or, or find offensive in our modern age of political correctness? So they're just going to throw it out so we should all just stick with older translations like the King James Version? Or does this mean that even having translations of the Bible is hopelessly flawed and we really can't be sure what the apostles and other inspired writers wrote, so we can't really hold scripture in high esteem. We really can't see it as being authoritative in our lives. Now, maybe as I give those examples, that sounds a little extreme, but those are some of the extremes that we as people tend to go to when it comes to biblical scholarship. So it might be helpful to just Open up the curtains a little bit to what goes on behind the scenes to allow you to have a copy of God's Word in your own language. Because whenever it references here manuscripts, that's a technical word that describes the handwritten ancient copies of what the inspired writers originally wrote. Now, maybe you realize this already, maybe you don't, but we don't have the original. There's not a museum somewhere you can go to and see in Mark's own handwriting the very first edition of this gospel account. But what we have instead are so many different copies, manuscripts spanning centuries of time and history that we can then have scholars compare against to be able to reconstruct with a high degree of confidence what Mark was originally inspired to write. And three of those best copies come from the period of history from the 2nd century through the 4th century. And the reason we hold those three in such high esteem is because they're so complete and so close to the time that this would have been originally written. Much like the game of telephone that you play as a kid where you whisper in one person's ear and then the next and then the next and see how the message changes. As handwritten copies are made over time, you start to see the opportunity, even without any deliberate maliciousness involved, for just human errors to creep in, for words to get dropped or added here or there. So the closer we can get to when Scripture was originally written, the higher degree of confidence that we can have that what we have is what God inspired. And that's part of what makes Mark chapter 16 verses 9 through 20 a little bit complicated. Because of those three most ancient, most highly regarded copies, two of them don't include Mark chapter 16, 9 through 20 at all. One of them does. Now, if all three of them left it out, we would almost certainly say, well, that probably got added later on. And as we read it, we can see why someone might think that that was a good idea. But the fact that one of the older copies has it, but two of them doesn't, makes it a really thorny issue for biblical translators to try to wrestle with. But when we read what those passages say, we'll see that there's really no cause for alarm. In fact, it just gives us further certainty about who Jesus is 
and what he's accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Because in Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 9, we read, Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe it. It goes on to describe Jesus' final appearance to the eleven and some of the instructions he gave. But appreciate right off the bat, even just as we look at this account of Jesus' appearing, there's nothing really earth-shattering there, right? There's nothing there for biblical scholars to be trying to keep from us because everything there is in other books of the gospel accounts. Other books that don't have those sorts of footnotes that they don't drop or try to screen. So we can dismiss any conspiracy theories against newer translations out of hand because that just doesn't hold up. Likewise, as we read it, maybe you can detect why we're not completely sure that Mark originally wrote that. Because it is sort of an abrupt shift in description and in word usage compared to what we were just reading in the verses before this. It's a visible scene between Mark chapter 16 and verse 8 and Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 where Jesus' rising is mentioned again and Mary Magdalene is introduced again even though we've already been introduced to her just a few verses earlier. So we can appreciate why folks aren't completely sure if Mark originally included that. But we could also understand why some folks might not be sure that Mark actually ended with verse 8, because it is a rather abrupt ending. Yet, abrupt is sort of the way Mark wrote his gospel account. We believe his was probably the first one to get committed to writing. And all throughout it, it's almost like a Reader's Digest version. It's like Mark's trying to hit the ground running, just in a rush to make sure that all of these facts that he'd been hearing Peter and Paul out there preaching about got preserved for later generations to continue to know and love Jesus, which is exactly what's happened. But whether or not Mark included these final details, and some of those earliest copies just omitted them, or whether some well-meaning Christian shortly after Mark tried to add that on there, appreciate that everything that's said there were told in other passages. The other gospel accounts give us this same information. So this isn't fraudulent. This isn't made up. What we read in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to the end, is consistent with the rest of Scripture. So we can know. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died, was buried, and rose from the grave. We can be confident that he appeared to many, that there were many witnesses of whom Mark knew a great deal of personally, who Mark would have been in a personal relationship with. For some of us, issues like this in biblical scholarship and translation are incredibly fascinating. And if you're interested in learning more about issues like these, I highly commend to you the book How We Got the Bible by Dr. Neil Lightfoot. It's outstanding and has been incredibly helpful to me. And there's other works similar to it like it that address these and other issues. But if you're not that into all of the ins and outs of these sorts of things, just know that what that footnote represents is the effort of people like you and me not to hide the truth or to deceive, 
but to be honest, to acknowledge what we know and what we don't know, because we do respect what God's word says, because we want to make sure that what we hold up as being God-breathed, as being inspired and authoritative, really is. And even if Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20 were added later, everything they say is said in other passages that we hold to be authoritative. So if my description of these issues is the only one you ever hear, let your takeaway from it be that we are sure that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose, that lots of people saw him. And when we read about those events in gospel accounts like Mark, we can have confidence that they're true.